help. <laughs> We're recording. Hello, Michael Moskowitz. Oh. I wave with um, two. What was that? I wave with two hands. Oh, yes. Ben, you've got your blur on the background for people who are listening. Yes, we're on Zoom. You can see it on Zoom. And thank you, by the way, for agreeing to be on camera. I know it's not your favorite thing to do, so I'm honored. Michael has a, a very fascinating background. I've known him for many, many years. He, when I first met him, was an editor of a local magazine called Toto. Was that local to San Francisco? That was a really long time ago. Only. And then he created something that was amazing called the Bureau of Trade. Whatever happened to that? Got bought. And then it was, then it was forcibly shut down. <laughs> well, that's a good out, right? Yeah, no, no, it was great. It was life-changing. Was and life-changing. was that bought by eBay? Did they yeah, buy it? Yeah, yeah, okay. Because yeah. then Michael went to eBay and there are some really incredible articles out there, including the New York Times. I mean, these this coverage of you is just the, the photos alone. Because my friend Michael here is incredible at um, curating, gathering, finding. And it turns out lots of media wants to cover that and show what that looks like. So he was eBay's curator in chief after that acquisition. And then some stuff happened and then founded Moon, Mood Rise. Is that right? What happened in between? <laughs> I mean, this is, you're reminding me of that. There's a very famous line from Dave Chappelle when he's trying to recount the history of civil rights and <laughs> that same verbal ellipses in, a, in the most charming way. Yeah. And then some, some, some. <laughs> That's uh, how I skirt around the parts I don't know. I try to charm my way out of it. But yes, <laughs> then I knew. But but though we've been friends for a long time, we didn't get to see each other for a long time because worlds were, you know, I was having babies. Eh, baby. Michael is not having a baby. Um, and then he started this really amazing app called Mood Rise, which was really up my alley which um, is highly focused on neurotransmitters and how to safely medicate yourself with your own neurotransmitter. I'm sure you have like a nice little pitch. What, what is like the line of mood rise? <laughs> In this moment, all I'm reminded of is that facetious or more of a factuous, empty joke in uh, Royal Tenenbaums. And he says, everybody knows that Colonel Custer died at Little Bighorn. My new book presupposes maybe he didn't. Our, our whole conceit or thesis was that um, people like drugs. People need drugs. People do drugs every single day. Um, and they do it in forms that they're not even aware of. You know, um, Going onto Facebook is a dopaminergic experience, a powerful one. Uh, watching the NFL or NBA triggers uh, testosterone and adrenaline. Um, spending time on, a, on an adult site can trigger a kaleidoscope of hormones and neurotransmitters, which work in favor of that business. People are dosing and doping themselves, not just with illicit drugs or prescription medication. What if we could help them do it in a focused fashion um, to promote and enhance emotional resilience, boost behavioral health, and start to make a in, start to make a dent on this colossus that seems to be caving in on us, otherwise known as Know, mental health and anxiety, depression, and in some cases, PTSD. That's a fine premise, digital drugs. But it turns out that most people still want to do real drugs. Um, 
there's a deeper idea here though that you know when i left ebay and spent quite a bit of time in europe and the middle east um and then ultimately at harvard for this fellowship it occurred to me that the world's biggest brands and businesses tend to have three things in common that don't meet the eye one is psychopharmacology the trader traffic in neurotransmitters uniquely to their advantage the second is deep behavioral ravines that means you know ebay is always going to struggle mightily as a business vis-a-vis um Amazon, not because of the size or might of Amazon, but because they're only competing at best for a purchase decision a month. That's a pretty asymmetric business. And it's not a big enough purchase to, you know, it's, it's not a car once a month, it's something else. Food businesses are competing for 21 to 35 purchase decisions a week. Tobacco companies 10 to 15 or 20 a day. And messaging businesses have you for 200 touch points on average in a 24 hour period. That's almost a biological imperative rivaled by breathing. That's a deep behavioral ravine. That's a good business. Um, and the, the muscle of self-care is atrophied in most people, you know, people that are happy want to be thin, people that are depressed want to be happy, but, but, but behavior change is tough. And, and so is it atrophied or they didn't even ever have it? I mean, I think it depends. Some people have called our generation, yours and mine, um, uh, digital natives, but I think, or, or forgive me, the, the new generation digital natives, it's not true. We're all digital orphans. We're never Let's learning new natives. Let's pretend to be younger than we are. Um, I need a vape pen in my hand, man. <laughs> um, and I need to be wearing a different T-shirt, I think. Probably I'm really, I mean, Michael, you're incredible because I feel like I could ask you a question and then travel with you. It's almost like a drug experience to just hear you answer a question because I get to just like follow along, which I love. And I always appreciate about you. But my question for you around this um, premise is... Yeah. Do you think it's hard to convince people that that's true around the neurotransmitters or that's a perceived issue? Like what, or is it, I, think I don't care about self-care. Yeah, let me call bullshit on myself. I think there's several issues. One is that if you if you grew up in the United States, I mean, as much, I've spent almost a decade overseas between Europe and the Middle East, but I grew up in the U.S. I went to many different boarding schools, but at grade school or in grammar school, every single classroom K through six had at least an American flag, a picture of the president, the alphabet, simple numbers, a Mercator map, um, and things that you just needed to sort of absorb by dint of exposure. I find it surprising that we don't yet have, not fault courtesy or as a function of new science, but um, based on the intelligence and wisdom of, 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 of educators. Simple symbols in these classrooms teaching kids the basics, just the basics of digital hygiene, when to partake and when to abstain, digital literacy, what these things do to and for you, um, and digital nutrition, how to sort of interpret the ingredients in what you watch and consume. Mm. Science is there. Is it hyper-specific? Now, so, so again, let me call it bullshit. You and I might find, I mean, the, the pathways and the neurotransmitters involved in, in an experience that erupts in laughter are similar from person to person, but the material that triggers that reaction is different. And so what you find funny, I might not. The pathways are the same. And so there are, I think, legitimate skeptics who take a look at some of the things we've done with neurotransmitter analytics, like x-ray vision for YouTube, and say, how can you be so sure that Dave Chappelle produces this combination when Kevin Hart produces, if Dave Chappelle produces X and Kevin Hart produces Y, you would have to validate and verify that under a PET scan, not even under fMRI. Right, right. And it's going to change from person to person. But if we can have a general sense of direction based on a mountain of uh, highly the cited... The majority people, of people would respond this way. The majority of people we're seeing tend to go this way. 
Right, but the, and there are exceptions, but again, the, the normative response is pretty powerful. So if most people respond to pup, cute puppy videos or adorable cat videos or evidence and video, call it video images of people being kind to one another, that produces or releases oxytocin, the bond and loving, love and bonding molecule. Well, what if you had a traumatic experience with a dog like my dad did when he was seven? Would it trigger norepinephrine? Would it fail to produce Probably. this inadequate dose? Right. But as general, you know, it, you don't need Google Maps to get you to New York. If you just generally head east, you'll get there. What's interesting to me is it's a combination of the neurotransmitter and the understanding how you feel, right? Like, like your dad would now. If your dad knows this, this causes stress in me, that's mm -hmm. norepinephrine, you kind of like start to educate yourself, right? That's right. You start to understand what you're feeling and then you understand the neurotransmitter. Do you think that knowing and understanding, since I've learned about neurotransmitters, I found myself, I wonder if it almost boosts it for me because I'm like, oh, oxytocin, here's this dog, I'm hugging him, oxytocin, I'm feeling it. I just, I wonder about the self-knowledge around how you're feeling and the neurotransmitters. That's just interesting to me. Priming is an important effect, but so yeah. is placebo. And yet we've seen evidence that this, is, this has a much greater impact than any basic placebo. The challenge is doing this at scale because the kinds of results that you're able to derive from watching a single episode of Ted Lasso, do they diminish if you're binging? Do they, are they sustained mm. when they're binging? I only mention it because it's like a feel-good comedy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, do you, but do you feel like you're ahead of your time, I assume? <laughs> like you're... You're thinking about something that I feel like will really come into its own as our ability to map that information also comes to, into its own? Yeah, well, I, I think the challenge is, number one, it's not going to come from regulators in Washington. I even have a friend who sits on the FTC, and he's fascinated by what we're doing, but they don't want to get involved in this fight. And it's not going to come from the CDC because it's not really what they do. I always always imagine that in, in some cases, not in all, you know, sometimes industry can't regulate itself. Sometimes it can and I thought that, you know, if you think about media, which is just doing a disservice to its readership or to its followership by producing, by weaponizing content and producing ill outcomes. That's so right. For yes. the country, for local communities, That's and even right. for their own business model, yeah. they're driving people away. They don't yet have an appetite to do things differently. They wouldn't know how. They're terribly afraid of altering them all. Then you think of pharma. Pharma is big, fat, and happy. And behavioral health only accounts for a very small percentage of their total business. They're more interested in cancer-fighting interventions, diabetes, or diabetes management and care, and others. They would rather spend $50 million on developing a proprietary molecule than $5 million acquiring something to feed this new emerging vertical known as digital nutrition, or to call it digital therapeutics. Okay, so pharma doesn't want to do it. And publishers don't want to do it. The platforms don't because want to do it. Because they're not incentivized. No well, one's incentivized. Although... I mean, you could imagine if you were the first publisher to want to do this, that you could imagine that if you were able to say this content in 95% of the people leads to this outcome, that seems like it could be very powerful. I agree. But again, I'll call bullshit on myself. Didn't Good Magazine try and do this to yeah. some degree? Yeah. Isn't the Dodo doing this, using oxytocin to some degree? But my my... Where I take issue is because I, 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 I detest and loathe advocacy journalism like Blackfish. I know that they're treating these animals like shit. I don't go to SeaWorld. No one I know goes to SeaWorld. Now I have 
existential dread and intestinal distress, what the fuck do you want me to do about it? This what? reminds me of a joke from one of my favorite comedians, Nate Bargatze, who said, who has this, he says, uh, you know who you don't really want to follow on Twitter is Leonardo DiCaprio. He's always talking about the sharks getting killed. Um, and I'm always like, yeah, I'm not going to kill a shark. Right. <laughs> exactly right. So they could have spent, you know, the, the, the two and a half or three million dollars on producing that film on actually saving these poor animals. Right. Making people more upset. Yeah. Yeah. No, I hear you. So what is a version Although, of that? To, to, for that one, didn't you have to make people really upset to get action? I don't know. Well, what action? These places continue to do they, exist. Do they? I thought SeaWorld went out of business. Animal jail. It's animal jail. It's still there? Okay. Can you imagine San Quentin hosting like craft day where all the prisoners get to display for the public all the things they're making with a surfeit of time? Agreed. Oh, yeah, I completed my fourth PhD in the Agreed. last Agreed. Agreed. No, but where I, what, I, what I mean really is, um, and I'll give you a tiny example, of the, the, the news hour with um, uh, Judy Woodruff. For, for all intents and purposes, or at least for the sake of the argument, they're generally quite centrist. They try to be as balanced as they can. It's, it is um, stripped of the hyperbole that you've right. typically with an hour. Okay, great. Um, they did a, 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 an episode last week that was basically, I don't even know it was willful. It could have been unwitting, purely accidental. It was all positive news. I still felt informed. I still felt brought up to speed. I didn't feel like I'd been bludgeoned into, um, into a state of complete disarray where I was, you know, apoplectic <laughs> by hearing more about COVID, by hearing more about dysfunction in Washington. Mm -hmm. How does that make me a more responsible, well-informed? Agreed. With, with a sense of belonging to Agreed. the people around me. It doesn't do it. So I think that at some point, Facebook, at least for the sake of teens, or for the sake of its own content moderators who are experiencing PTSD, might decide to do it internally. I don't think that you can do something like this with Twitter for a variety of reasons. I mean, it, I mean, 30,000 years of evolution have landed us in a position where it, we know sort of intuitively that if you start screaming epithets at a stranger at a coffee shop, they're going to drag you away to jail. But on Twitter, there's no way to drag that insane person away. And in fact, he's elevated to the, uh, like, like this hagiography of uh, the hallowed and the holy. So... I don't know how, I don't have any thesis about how you can combat it. What I do believe is that there are going to be companion pieces that in the future and in the very near future, people who are in um, conventional uh, therapeutic regimes and or who are on prescription meds will also be using digital therapeutics or call them, you know, d digital nutrition as a companion piece. To I think I already am. I think that is me. I think you just described me. That is how I... I think it needs to be easier to do. I think it also needs to be easier to navigate for content when you don't know what to watch. Netflix is giving you descriptions, sexual content, smoking. Mm -hmm. Okay, if I need to keep a, an adolescent out of the room, fine. But if I need to know how I'm going to feel at the mm. end of the I have no signal. I don't know how this makes me feel. I, I totally agree with you, Michael. Like, I am always thinking that with our, I work at Pinterest, as you know, and I always think about that with how we organize content. I, and how couldn't we organize it around what you'll feel? Because isn't that what you're kind of interested in as you think about it? Well, my only insight before landing on this project was that I remember in the fifth or sixth grade, there was a science experiment trying to teach you about surface tension in water. And so you fill a Petri dish, you sprinkle pencil shavings on top, and you administer a single drop of soap. And it pulls the tension apart. It pulls all the detritus to the sides. And what occurred to me was that 
you know, we tend to think of life as a nonlinear journey, reified or pushed through the lens of story to make sense of, you know, this uh, cruel masquerade. But that's uniquely human to some, and not that we're the only species that has story, we're not. Uh, whales are reputed to have story conveyed via song. But fiction might be our only one, or um, the deeper awareness of ourselves in, in, the, in the cosmos. That what I thought, though, was that life is just a series of infinitely complex chemical interactions, some of which are bitter and some of which are sweet, some of which are painful, some of which are you know, elevated and ennobling. But if you can begin to change the chemistry, then you can begin to change the narrative. And so that's the deeper idea here. I don't think that our approach is the only one way to do it. I think there are other ways you can do it too. I mean, some people seek out uh, the, the guidance of mushroom wisdom. Um, How does it change the narrative? I mean, isn't the narrative what just connecting of two dots in the best possible way people, I mean, I, I guess I'm just talking about for one's own life where we create false narratives, where aren't we just connecting like things that happened with each other? Um, I think that's what we think we're doing. Yeah. But that's not what we're doing. But how is that actually occurring in the brain? It's not words or number. It's not, you know, numbers being exchanged on a computer screen. It's not words being conveyed on a screen. It's a series of infinitely complex chemical interactions. And what was that old pat piece of wisdom? I generally hate platitudes, but it can at least serve to illustrate this point that, you know, you can't change history, but with enough understanding, you can remove the venom from it. Mm. Do that. If it becomes less painful, then the story you begin to tell yourself is actually quite different. Mm. Your experience life is quite different. You know, if, I mean, Chris, such a terrible joke. Uh, Daniel Tosh has a joke where he says, I don't know if I'm ready to be a father. There's a very narrow line between beating a kid just enough that he produces an album as genius as Thriller, but not so much that he fucks children. Right. I don't know if I could find that line. But if you think about the hardship that many of our heroes have endured, not that there were, like Muhammad Ali, who we still, you know, lionize and celebrate, and for good reason. Some of his challenges were of his own doing that were virtuous and righteous, but he could have picked another path. He could have picked a simpler path. I'm talking about people who grow up not just, you know, having, you know, with parents who are reduced to penury and, you know, fighting for their meal, you know, or, you know, dancing for their dinner, but the stories they tell themselves about how um, fortifying those experiences mm. were who treated as trauma. You know, and the victimization narrative, I think, can change depending on how we treat ourselves. So mm-hmm. I, I think that's a really good point. And I feel that point about anxiety. I mean, when I see I am a big uh, <laughs> I am a big advocate, anti-advocate. I'm against I advocate against the idea that anxiety is helping you. And it is a widespread idea that anxiety is helping you. I think, well, short periods of anxiety are deeply biologically programmed, right? They're I mean, the truth is what I mean by anxiety is not right. I do not mean the, the burst. I mean, disordered level of anxiety. That's right. It's also known as the, the perennial Jewish condition. Um, and probably for good reason, because we have enemies everywhere, even the paranoid of enemies. It's true. Um, what do you think, Michael, what have you, I mean, you've been working on this now for quite some time. You've been thinking about it even longer. Like how, how has your own behavior changed or has it? I'm talking about mental health. I'm starting to think that, you know, Tom Cruise is right. The therapy is bullshit. 
I mean, listen, but I'm wait, really does therapy. Tom Cruise think therapy is bullshit or does he think pharmaceuticals are bullshit? No, he thinks therapy. Don't you remember the interview with Matt Lauer? The now, you know, I'm thinking of the Brooke. I know Brooke Shields. He took on Brooke Shields for going on SSRIs. That's what I remember. Well, I think he believes that the entire edifice of now Scientology believes that they replace therapy. Maybe they do. I haven't studied Scientology. I, I have. <laughs> and they they do intense like many cults, they do intense clearing sessions. Right. Maybe they, they were. I mean, we're always I guess the question is how are people in Scientology doing? What's I mean, are they doing well? Like how are what was the outcome of these sessions for these people? I really wouldn't know. <laughs> But I think there are many different paths. You know, people are always critiquing, either worshiping or critiquing the finger rather than looking at the direction it's pointed. Mm-hmm. That's a very powerful path. Mm-hmm. Judaism is a option for those that want to choose like me. All religions. Right. Everyone. right. I, I listen to Christian radio all the time and I love it. I don't believe in any of it, but I, I, I love it. It does something for my soul. I, I listen to Christian comedians. It makes me happy. They're very like able to, I don't know. I don't know what it is about that. I never thought I was going to be so pro-Jesus at 43. Really <laughs> You're not. I'm coming around. <laughs> again, I'm not making light of this. There are many different paths. Yes. And I think I, I had much greater conviction at the beginning of this journey that digital nutrition was going to you know, transform the world. Not, be, not because I wanted to change the world per se, but I thought there was a, an analgesic, right? Some sort of virtual liquid pain-relieving mechanism that we're going to be able to help people, not in totality, mm-hmm. but incrementally. Right? Mm-hmm. A little bit at a time. Mm-hmm. I think it's a very long path. Mm. So I celebrate, applaud, um, and recognize the... This, I, I, I think the common headspace of both rich and deserving of, of the success that they've enjoyed. It's great. Right? That's a doorway for people to begin to adopt a meditation practice. It's not the doorway for all people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think medication is vital for some, like me, who's been struggling with these things since he was a teenager. Mm-hmm hospitalized on multiple occasions. I'm very open about it. Mm-hmm. Lifelong struggle. I don't think that's the answer for everyone. And so I think that there needs to be a broader, richer, more compelling and seductive variety of tools that people can self-administer. Otherwise, they won't. And I think mm-hmm. some of them mm-hmm. play to familiar muscle groups because behavior change is so tough. If you find you know, a restorative benefit in journaling, great, do it. If you find... No, agreed. Anything, private, whatever is working, keep, keep exploring. Yeah, but my Michael... Can we talk about breakdowns for a second? Because I'm very interested in this topic. I think at my ni- my next writing project, I might want to be around this topic. Breakdowns? Yeah, sure. So you said you're familiar with the old hospitalization. You're familiar with these these periods in life. And I'm mm-hmm. curious how you, what do you call that? I, I feel like we don't have adequate language around what breakdowns are. And I'm just curious if you have any thoughts about that. I mean, it's previously been called hysteria. I know. Very- I know. And and so I had my own period when I was in Seattle a long, long time ago and ended up going back home to Ohio and staying with my family. The dog's going through a breakdown right now because they're street cleaning. Um, but I never knew what to call it. And I didn't, because I didn't know what to call it, I didn't actually learn from it. It took me a long time to be able to look back and say, oh, that's what that was. I didn't know. So I feel like my dream with the the next project would be to help people understand 
like this happens, it doesn't happen to every single person, but it happens to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And these are the things we take away from it, or this is what that is. And this is how it happens physically. And this is how it happens in other ways. I think it's a difficult topic because some people, you know, in other circles, specifically uh, circles of caregivers, like doctors, they call it brownout, right? Before it's burnout. Brownout is pre-burnout. And burnout is... Yep. That interests me too. Like, did we make choices not to take care of it? I mean, I don't know. Brownout. Do you feel like you had that before yours? Do you think of yours as breakdowns? Um, I mean, in my case, there were manic episodes. Okay. You know, and so I'm able to do, you know, six different things at once, which is, you know, thrilling and invigorating before the crash. And then the crash is incredibly severe. So that wouldn't, I mean, again, this comes back to the breakdown thing. Like, that's an episode. That's, what do you think of breakdown as being? I think it, 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 I, th- I think it depends on whether or not this is part of, you know, there are sometimes seemingly insuperable obstacles or periods of arduous struggle that are intrinsic to the human experience. And we all have to go through it. That's you think my- everyone goes through breakdowns? Yeah, it's part of the hero journey. Part of the okay. myth journey. It, it is, yes. But that, but that means you think everyone experiences that? Yeah, I do. I think in different ways. Okay. And I think the way that you remedy or navigate through those straits are different depending on whether, depending on if it's part of a disease mm-hmm. or whether it's part of a, a series of undesirable hardships, you know, that were imposed exogenously. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that they can all be placed in one bucket. Like the, the reasons that people end up in the rooms at AA are yes. As different as we all... I mean, I do think of... I, I, one of my little premises is, is, or questions, I would say, is, is a breakdown rock bottom? No, I've like used voice memo, like note to self, rock bottom. Like I know when it happens. <laughs> and it's different than yeah, those periods. It's different. The, and you do not think of rock bottom as a breakdown? No, I think about rock bottom as the sound as the lonely sound of a ping pong ball in a German psychiatric ward. That is rock bottom. I can tell you from personal. Wait, experience. you you that happened to you? Mm-hmm. A German psych. Wow. Yeah. Um, I could unpack that for 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 ages, but yeah, I mean these things do happen. I don't know. I mean, listen. I the truth of the matter is, as somebody who has been struggling with mental health their entire life, I am so sick of talking about mental health. I never even intended to start a mental health. You know company. what? I don't blame you. It is can be very boring and very repetitive, and also oh, oh, stressful, and uh, also depressing, or self righteous. Like I'm tired of all these. You know, like it's so brave. No, it's not. It's not brave. I don't say any of that, We're and brave I agree to with you. A child from a burning building. I agree with you, and I. But but my curiosity or my desire, maybe a control thing where I want people to talk about things differently. <laughs> and so maybe if I present, present, present alternative ways, that'll happen. And again, my thing with breakdown is the same thing. Like, why didn't I understand it back then? Why didn't I know it was happening? What words do we use? I mean, I had a friend who a couple months ago went through this period where I had to go sleep at her house for a few days. She it was chemical, but it's also, she, she stopped functioning and it shocked her. She just didn't know that was possible, but it did happen. Yeah. Well, it shows that you're the kind of friend that you are. And so 
that can be seen either as a breakdown or a clarification of the people that matter most in your life. That's true. And, I, and then a lot of that stuff does, of course, come out in those moments. But, you know, I mean, I, listen, life was never meant to be. And, and everyone compares, you know, American Highways to the Autobahn. The Autobahn is not that great. You can go fast, but it's kind of fucked up, too. Like, it's not that smooth. It's not an F1 track. There, you it know, isn't? I don't even know. I have driven on it, but it was a long time. I don't remember anything. No, about. I mean, you can just drive really fast, but it's and also... Is everyone really fast on the Autobahn? Is that... Not everyone. Not everyone. Some people okay. are. Some people are not. You got to get the hell out of the way if you're not. Yeah. But we somehow assume, and, and I think this is a gross mischaracterization, or at least it's a pernicious assumption about life, that if you're doing things right, there's no hardship. Mm. Shit. It's always going to be hard. Yeah. But there's like hard that you can endure. There's hard that uh, makes you feel trampled underfoot. And then there's hard where, you know, the goddamn vending machine is on top of your body and you need help. Um, the only reason I'm reminded of this is, you know, spending the spring in Morocco where the uh, social mores around COVID were vastly different. You know why? Not because they didn't understand. Because they didn't believe that a mask alone, I mean, it's choice if you want to wear one but that you're not in control of your life. Mm. Whether you die is not entirely within your control. And the richness of your life is not also defined by money. I mean, they have, it took me a second to realize, oh my God, right, it's a non-capitalist country. Mm. There's still trade, still investment, still real estate speculation, there's all those things. But, it, but the values are not centered around capitalist production. And don't get me wrong, I, I'm an unapologetic capitalist, but there's something really refreshing mm -hmm. about uh, concentrating your values in a different vertical or entertaining and um, meditating on a, a profoundly different set of values. Mm. I think that some of these self-serving onanistic or solipsistic pursuits in the U S are precisely what drive people into spiritual crises that mm -hmm. unfurl or deteriorate from spiritual crises into mm -hmm. mental health issues. You're right. Yeah. Um, and I don't think I'm alone in saying that I, I don't have, a definitive remedy in mind for everyone that seems to be dealing with this or at least confessing to struggle with this more openly than they did 10 or 15 years ago. But I do believe that, and I've said this before, that clinicians and clergy don't see eye to eye on almost any subject except for one, mm -hmm. human health and prosperity that is comprised of diet, sleep, exercise, interpersonal relationships, and vocation. That's true everywhere. My only assertion was that in the world that we're now occupying and living in or navigating through, there's now a sixth which is digital nutrition. If you're spending between six and 11 hours every single day or more during COVID consuming these materials and they're having a known and often, not always, often negative impact on mood or your ability to cope, then we should be more mindful of what we're watching, why we're watching it, and when. The when is also key. You know, I, mean, I, I'm, I don't do a good job of this. I watch content before going to sleep every night to my own regret and chagrin. Because you think it affects your sleep. Yeah, of course. And if you don't get the sleep right, we mentioned sleep is one of the pieces. Yeah. You're not getting the diet right, which you mentioned as, as one of the pieces. And so, um, you know, every, would everyone be better off if we threw our phone into the goddamn pond? Of course, but no one's going to do it. You know? And there's a lot of powerful things that you can do with it. But exercising that discipline is very, 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 very difficult. Um, but I do think that looking at content through this new lens, and all right, how is this going to make me feel? What is, the, what is the basis of it? Like, you know, is it going to likely trigger the release of oxytocin? or GABA for common tranquility, or dopamine for self-conscious reward, maybe not too much, much dopamine, or testosterone for energy, or even listening to music in a similar fashion to get more work, or to, to get more value out of your time at the gym, or deeper concentration when you're trying to produce work. 
I think at least having it as a reference point is is, is critically important. As for the rest of uh, behavioral health, have you gotten gotta, gotta, have you gotten sick of? Are you sick of digital? This obviously was like a huge rallying call for you, and you started working on it. Have you gotten sick of the topic? Or are you still are you still really into the topic, the digital nutrition idea? Well. I, I wish I could be more revealing, but I don't want to ever, you know, cast aspersions about other people or people or companies that have been supportive of me. So, um, you do think it's still very important. I mean, not just that you think it's important, but you have energy to give towards this topic still. Cause I'm also wondering what your energy is moving towards just in terms of your own interests around this, like next. Yeah. I mean, I have a lot of other interests. I know you do. Um, I li- listen, do you think, you know, I saw Mark Zuckerberg out at dinner the other night here in Palo Alto. And I was like, God, it's so weird. The guy's worth a hundred billion dollars. He's just a guy. He's mm-hmm. no better or worse than people make him out to sound. You mm-hmm. know, he's devil incarnate. He's just a guy. He's a mm-hmm. guy. Is he smart? Of course he's smart. Mm-hmm. He's also intensely lucky. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, how many violent kicks to the nuts did outside of grammar in high school did he take for Facebook to be successful? I, I wouldn't even be able to tell you. I think that the majority of people who are unheralded, unknown, uncelebrated in the Valley who are going around desperately trying to raise money have taken many more kicks to the body, to the brain, to the soul. What did Andy Roddick say about Djokovic? I'm not a fan of Djokovic, but he says, first he takes your legs then he takes your soul. Oh, damn. That's right. Good. And I think that sometimes raising money in the Valley is the same thing or trying to do any kind of a startup unless you have crazy traction out of the gate. I mean, the funny thing is with the Bureau, I told this to Ben Silverman, who was working across the street at the time when Pinterest was still 13 people. I was like, dude, it's Friday. We have 75,000 users. We've only been doing this for five days. He's like, I don't know how you did that. It took us seven and a half months. But look at where Pinterest is. <laughs> look at where we are. So... My only point in saying this is how much abuse are you going to take? The average actor in Hollywood has to go through an estimated 400 auditions before they break. Okay. Wow. Lee Murphy was an exception. Brad Pitt was an exception. It's generally 400 auditions. If you can get 50 auditions a year, that's a long time. If you can mir- miraculously get 100 auditions a year, then you can do it in four years. But that typically doesn't happen. How much abuse, neglect, and rejection can you possibly stomach? And on a topic like this, you know, um, which is huge. Somebody's going to solve it. Somebody much smarter than me. It's going to be a neuroscience. Or equally smart to you. I mean, that's the thing. The timing might be different. They may be lucky in a different way. You're right. You're right. But listen, but you're right about endurance. I mean, that it, it does sort of just seem like, I think that about my own work. I mean, it's an endurance game. Do I keep having the energy and the excitement to do this? Well, some of that is governed by other people. Yeah. And uh, it can be exciting to work in small teams, right? And they're wedded to one another. I'm, I'm permanently in debt to the team that sacrificed so much the last four years. I worked for nothing, pennies, and stuck by me. They're the best people on earth. I love them to death. There's nothing I wouldn't do for them. But at some point, when it's just you in the field lying in wait with one rifle, one bullet for one kill, and you've been waiting for years for that one kill... You start to wonder whether it's worth wandering back to camp for refreshments. I mean, that's sort of the the, the enduring lesson about the Taliban is 
strategic rest. These guys take six months off. They do? Every year. And then they come back for fighting season. I didn't know that. So, yes. so the Taliban is only on players six would be in the NFL today if, if they didn't take six months off? None. They couldn't field a team. So I think it's time to just take a breather, do some laundry. Yeah, you know? I support this. You know, I, I've trimmed my beard back from Taliban lengths to, say, modern airborne terrorist length. Yeah. And um, because the TSA was just giving me too much grief. You, sir, have been selected for an entirely random security. <laughs> random. Um, no, I think it's very, very important. But I also wonder whether, um, and I really do mean this, I think that it's going to be solved by somebody like Sean Rad, mm. who's working on a new ring. Um, because he has so much resource. Mm. And I don't think it's going to be solved from within the industry with people, you know, who, with all due respect, you know, the MD, PhDs at Johns Hopkins, Stanford, Harvard, fill in the blank, brilliant people. And you need them as a chief scientist mm. medical officer. But I think, I mean, you know, Sean is one of about 20 people who's had that kind of success. Mm -hmm. That's a validating mechanism for one. But two, he has money to spend on getting it right. Mm -hmm. And when you're a small stage startup and there's thousands of them working in the veritable wild west of wellness, it's hard to get seen. It's hard to get known. It's hard to get that product right. It's hard to get traction, even if you do get it right. I do wonder, there's like the business building and then there's the idea honing. Yeah. And you can always keep working on the ideas, sure. right? I mean, you can always, I mean, that's my path. <laughs> so like to, to keep carving out my own interest level, exploring, honing, um, and separating that from any business, N knowing who knows, someday maybe something comes up. I don't know, not yet. So I hope you will keep going down the idea of being a thought leader in this space, which I think you will, because you can't help it. But um, I'm a thought leader the way that Osama bin Laden was an events producer. Like, yeah. Kidding. I'm, I'm kidding. kidding. That's amazing. I'm kidding. I'm um, kidding. thank you for making me laugh so much. Is there anything we should talk about before we go? Anything else? Anything we didn't cover that you were hoping to talk about? No, I mean on, on, a, on a separate episode, we can talk about the future of intentional living, or we can talk about the seven converging crises of our era and how to combat them. Or we can talk about why it's important to reread Hegel now mm. through it. <laughs> You want to give one line on why you think people should be reading Hegel? I have not reread Hegel. Yeah, that Hernan, who's the um, director of SciArc, which is the architecture school at USC, pointed out recently that the only theories left are conspiracy theories. But we still need frameworks for understanding mm. the corporal world and new frameworks because everything appears to be up for grabs at the moment. And I feel like there's a lot to be harvested from the canon. Mm. and thought about or talked about outside of uh, undergraduate classrooms or completely obscure postgraduate papers, you know, that sit in journals yep. or such as seven other people. And so it doesn't feel like a better moment to sort of revisit some of those things than now. I wouldn't have said that five or six years ago, no way. But I, 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 would, I would say that now. It sounds like I need to scrounge up some money to pay you to write about the canon. I really want to hear more about this. This is interesting. I mean, what should be read? How? What's... What's an, what's an approach to that? Uh, or, or we can read um, Marco Rubio's autobiography called Pamphlet. 
yeah, those are good choices. <laughs> I don't know. It's one or the other, really, right? It's like no, that even. That's wrong. But listen, I really thank you for having me on. I hope that anybody who's listening who's you know struggling with mental health finds the help and support they need from friends and family and from professionals. And I, listen, I only make light of it because, you know, jokes come from pain, right? And that's the way that we can sort of rise above the, uh, the crude charade we call life. It does come back to knowing there are lots of other people out there and that you are not alone. That's, that's, that's the core. Yes, Thank sir. you, Michael. Thank you for having me. Nice to see you. Nice to see you. Mm-hmm.